You're listening to The Maniculum, pointing the finger at the Middle Ages. We bring you the choicest medieval nonsense, discuss and evaluate it, then pillage it for our own geeky purposes. Alrighty, hello everyone. I am Zoe, and I'm a professional game developer. Wow, off to a great start there. I'm a game developer. I make games. And this is Mac, my co-host, a PhD candidate at Purdue University, and we teach you how to adapt weird medieval stories into TTRPGs. But before we do that, just a reminder that we have a wonderful Discord community with lots of cool stuff on there. So if you would like to check that out, we have a brand new like homebrew channel on the Discord. So if you have cool homebrew ideas, if you want feedback on your homebrew ideas, if you want to implement some of the weird ideas that we come up with, come check us out in the Discord. Link is in the show notes. You can also find all of that good stuff on the rest of our social media. We've got a Twitter and Instagram. We've got a Facebook. So yeah, come get in touch with us. Tumblr. Oh yeah, we do have a Tumblr, which is super fun. And we also have a Patreon. So if you so desire to keep us well caffeinated, and keep our hosting running, you can check that out and get some cool stuff in return, like one-of-a-kind homebrew materials that we polish up and send out. And bonus episodes, we have those now too. That's a 2023 exclusive. But in any case, all that good stuff is there for you to peruse in the show notes if you so desire. Our sources are also down there. But anyway, this week we are returning to the sagas. It's been a little bit of time. We've had a lot of stuff going on. But we are back to Aeok Saga. And to recap... Previously on Aeok Saga. Aeok and Thorwolf have gone to England. They fight for King Athelstan. And the Battle of Brunenburg happens. You may already be familiar with this in the Vikings TV show. Then they go back to Norway, where Aeok starts a lawsuit against a guy named Achli the Short for, like, unlawfully taking his land. Technically, it's his wife's land. And this does not go too well, because as you might remember, he's already made enemies of the arbiters of the court, namely King Eric and Queen Gunhild. So there's a long blood feud between the two of them. So, you know, you don't really want to make your arbiters unhappy. So the last thing that Aik did was curse out the royal couple and swear vengeance on them before he mic-dropped out of the court and left. And then he basically pretended to be a bear to lure a guy out of his house and kill him. You might also remember that. Uh, so this is where we're at. He's, he's going home at this point. There was also a literal curse with like a horse head on a pole. Yes, the Nithing pole, which is really, really cool. It's one of my favorite instances of Icelandic magic that has been pretty recent, actually. There are some uh, recent instances of the Nithing or Nithing pole. I don't actually know how to pronounce it. But anyway, we are picking up there. So I'll just dive in with chapter 61, the death of Scott Lagrim, one of our main characters, unfortunately. But, you know, he's the last generation, so his time is up. It chanced in the autumn, shortly before winter, that Thord rode into Borg to find Aeok, his kinsman, and he bade him to come to a banquet. 
But as Aik was ready, Scott Legroom went out to him. Remember, this is his dad, by the way. Mm-hmm. Embracing him before he mounted and said, You are late, I think, Aik, in paying me the money which King Athelstan had sent me. What do you That's mean right. to do with that money? Yeah, yeah. He was supposed to, like, give Scott Legroom one chest of money and then distribute the other chest of money, but he just kept both of them. Yeah, he kept both of them. So his dad's calling him out here. And Aik replies and says, Oh, are you that short of money, Dad? I did not know that. I shall at once let you have the silver when I know that you need it. But I know that you still have, you know, one or two chests full of silver. So he's basically like, you're fine, old man. Like, you don't need this money. You don't either, Ale. What are you <laughs> doing with it? I know. These are both rich landowners, I'd like to remind everyone here. And Scott Grimm answers, I suppose that you think we've made our division of movable property. You must now be content if I do what I like with the money that I have in my own keeping. So this is sort of, this is more legal talk, where he's basically saying like, oh, well, I gave you what you're owed. So if you're not willing to share this with me, then you, you best believe that I'll be very comfortable using my own money how I will from now on. And it very tersely replies, well... I don't know why you're telling me any of this. You choose what you will do, and I'll do what I do. Yeah, Scott Legrim, were you not just doing whatever you wanted with your money before now? I mean, it seems out of it would seem out of character for you to be like saving it for your son's inheritance. I feel like he's pretty liberal with his wealth when it comes to his son in terms of like here's a boat, here's people to outfit the boat, here's this stuff and that stuff. But now he's like basically drawing a line in the sand where he's like hey i'm owed this money i can hold on to it for you and his his son's like nah i don't know man so i'm reminding everyone this is happening right as he's about to leave for this banquet so then he goes off to this banquet where he was made welcome and he was supposed to be there three nights and that same night that aik left home scott legrim had a horse saddled and he rode out just when everyone else was going to bed Then he went away and bore before him on his knees a very large chest, and under his arm he carried a brazen kettle. Yeah, kettle, like a like a like a tea kettle. It's felt like a tea kettle. I assume this is more of a cauldron than like a a tea kettle. I expect so. Is he gonna bury it? Is this is this him like out of spite going like, well you're not inheriting my money, I'm gonna hide it. Yes. Oh, that's, he, well, that is in character. <laughs> it is very in character. And so he puts both of them into Crumb's bog hole, is what it's called. I'm like sorry, into what? Crumb's bog hole. Like this guy, like there's a local landmark that's just Crumb's bog hole. How is Crumb spelled? K-R-U-M. <laughs> okay. Yep. So not like not like a tiny piece of bread. No, no, like a guy, like a guy's name, like Victor Crumb. Yeah, I was trying not to make that reference, but the only eh. other Crumb I know eh. is 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 the medieval Bulgarian leader, which I'm sure is where that name came from in the first place. I'm sure. So yeah, after he did this, he drops a massive stone on top of it, so it's like a marker, and nobody can pick it up because he's just such a massive guy. And then he comes home at midnight and goes to his bed and lays down in his clothes. Like, he doesn't change out. He doesn't get into his PJs, he just lays lays down. 
Honestly, I I have trouble imagining Scott Legrim relaxing at all. So I know, that's... in any way, shape, or form. Like, nah. Yeah. And so, when it was light and people were dressed, there sat Scott Legrim forward on the seat's edge, already dead, so stiff that people could not straighten him or move him, though they tried all they could. I was just thinking, just as we were saying, like, Scott Legrim isn't the type to relax. I'm like... I know there are several instances in the sagas of people dying sitting up. He should do that and then- Yes, he absolutely just did. And so I think what's happening here is, one, and I've heard this argument before where he's showing like what a stingy, rude, terrible old man he is. Like he's going off and burying this treasure. But I think it's also an instance of Denshanicus which is like that Irish place wisdom. So obviously this this instance isn't Irish. Yes, but the place wisdom of Crumb's Boghole. Clearly. But but <laughs> the point is, there's this lore that's been passed down of like, if you find this big slab and you can lift it up, you're going to find this treasure underneath. So take that as you will. I'm just saying, quest idea. Also, now I'm remembering another saga where... A very cranky old man dies sitting up. I think it's one of the district sagas. Don't remember which one. And he ends up haunting the place. Is oh, this yeah. something to expect? I, it's been a while since I read Ale. In any other saga, I would expect so. But Scott Legrim, unfortunately, does not return. Yeah. That's it. He's not going to invest the time and the energy to bother haunting his son. I feel like it would fit in this scene because it, the message I'm getting from this scene is not like horrible, stingy old man, but that he's a deeply, deeply stubborn person. Yes, he's very absolutely. inflexible. Yes. And I can absolutely see that leading to, I ain't moving on to no afterlife. I'm staying right here. I would agree. I think that's amazing. I also like the reading that he just can't be bothered. Yeah. It's like, you know, this, my son. I'm done. I'm out. See you later. Nobody gets my wealth. Nobody gets my spirit. I'm gone. Either way. So anyway, the other thing that I think this reflects is remember how we talked about how Scott Legrim and his family line had that had possibly that physical disease where their bones were sort of misshapen and grew in weird ways and they had this weird stiffness to them. Pagets, yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering if this is also a case of Pagets where he dies like hunched over and sitting up on the seat edge. I don't I don't know, know, but the the sort of the symptoms that I do recall were like that inflexibility, your joints hurt, that sort of thing. I don't know. This sort of vibes to me, but maybe not. Maybe this is just one of those mythological, you know, he died sitting upright because he's a cranky old man. But who knows? So anyway, a messenger was sent to Aik and told him of these tidings. And Aik took his weapons and clothes and rode home, and he reached that place by eventide. And at once, upon dismounting, he went in and went through the hall, blah, blah, blah. And he went to the chief seat, took Scott Legrim by the shoulders, forced him backwards, and laid him down in the seat, and rendered then the services of the dead. So this guy's like doing this, like he's dead in the chief's seat. Which, what an image. Yeah, that sends a message. Yeah. Then Ick bade them take digging tools and break open the wall on the south side. And then he supported the head and shoulders and the others the feet of Scott Legrim. And they bore him athwart the house, out through the breach in the wall, and immediately down to Naustanis. 
and there a tent was laid over the body, and in the morning, with the flood tide, he was put on a boat and rowed out to Dirganes. There a mound was raised on the point of the ness, and there he was laid, with his horse, weapons, and smithing tools. It was not told that any valuables were laid in the mound beside him. Right, because why would Ale do that? Yeah, why? Also, I think that taking him out through a hole in the wall is an anti-haunting sure. Is it really? Yes. I don't have a source on me right now, but I seem to remember that... The trick is, if you bring them out over the threshold, they can find their way back. But if you bring them out through a hole in the wall and then fix the hole, they can't come back in that way. They get confused. Yeah. I like that. I like that. See, I thought it was just because he's, like, so stiff and such a massive man, he couldn't fit through the door. I mean, he'd have to be, like, spread eagle or something. I guess. Yeah, that never made any sense to me. I like the ghost theory better. I also would not want my dad to come back if it were him i feel like this is a, a smart measure shouldn't tell your dad that that's fair at this point aic takes the heritage the land the chattels and he basically he takes over the entire estate so one way or the other he gets the entire estate but he doesn't get the stuff that scott Grimm buried the night before how many estates does this guy have by now at least four because he has his dad's estate, his own estate, his dead brother's estate, and his wife's estate, and his wife's other estate that is now in question in the lawsuit. The Norway one. The Norway one. Which, like, why? You're outlawed in Norway. When are you even going to go over there, my guy? But Right. He was just there out of bloody-mindedness. Exactly. Okay, so, moving onward. King Eric ruled over Norway one year after the death of his father, King Harald, before Hakon Athelstan's foster son, another son of Harald, came out of the west from England. And in that same summer, Eric Skatlegrimsson went to Iceland. Wasn't he already there? He was just there with the last time we saw him. Yes, but you have to remember that we were like, meanwhile, and then it fades out. And then it's like, at the same time, he was going to Iceland. This other guy was going this other direction. Uh, okay. So that's what's happening here. Blah, blah, blah. So the point is, Hakon and Eric both think of themselves as kings of Norway. Right. Hakon sounds familiar. Isn't isn't this the Earl Hakon we hear a lot of in the sagas? Yes. So you can kind of tell who won, who won this one. Yeah. But yeah, he's coming from England because he's Athelstan's foster son. So Hakon had larger numbers because they're both like going to war for this. So Hakon had the larger numbers and for the reason of this, that he made it law in the land that every man should own his own patrimony, where King Harald had enslaved all, rich and poor alike. Eric saw no other choice but to flee the land, so he went abroad with Gunhilda and their children. So Hakon basically takes over and now King Eric is like, oh, I gotta go. And so first they go to the Orkneys and there Eric gave his daughter Ragunhilde in marriage to Earl Arnfinn. And he went south along the coast of Scotland, did some Viking there, and then went down to England and did some Viking there. And then when King Athelstan heard of this, he gathered his forces against Eric. Hold on, before we before we go into Eric and Athelstan fighting, this patrimony thing, is Hakon like reversing Harold's earlier thing that like I the king own all the land and you only hold it through me I think to be so like, you can you now you actually have your land again I think that is the aim here so 
So essentially, he's like, yeah, you guys get your land back, which obviously is a problem for King Eric. Yeah. Since he thinks he rules all of the land. Isn't having a government based on family drama just the best decision? So glad we did that for so long. Oof. (sighs) All right. So when Athelstan heard of all this Viking that's going on by this king, he gathered a force and went against Eric. But when they met, terms were proposed. And the terms were that Athelstan gave to Eric the government of Northumberland, for he was to be King Athelstan, defender of the land against the Scots and the Irish. Athelstan had made Scotland a tributary under him after the death of King Olaf, that's what we saw earlier, but the people were constantly disloyal to him, I wonder why. I'm I'm sorry, are you saying that the Scots didn't appreciate being ruled by the English and fought back? What? I don't think there's any historical precedent for that. Oh, well see, this is the first precedent of that. (laughs) No, it's at least the second, because that's what started the Battle of Brunenburg. (laughs) That's fair. Okay, so the story goes that Gunhilda had a spell, and this spell was that Eik Skatlagrimson should find no rest in Iceland until she had seen him. But in that summer, when Hakon and Eric had met and contended for Norway, all travel to and from Norway was forbidden, so that in the summer there came to Iceland from Norway neither ship nor tidings, and Eil Skatlagrimson abode at his home. Honestly, he got off light. I've heard I've heard worse curses coming from Gunhild. Yeah, for real. No kidding. So essentially, he's going to have this itch in his back pocket to get out of Iceland until he like goes and sees her, but because the land is now like shut down, there's no trade, blah blah blah. How are they doing that? Norway's all coastline. I figured blockades and um what's the economic word? Embargo? Yes. I mean, they could maybe do that. I guess if you just have to block off the ports and, like, assume that no one's going to just pull into a fjord or something. Or you just refuse to trade with any Icelandic or English individuals. Like, oh, you're a representative from this guy? Get out of our port. You're not going to get the whole citizenry to go along Oh, I mean, totally not. Definitely not. But still, you know... You just got all your land back. I feel like I'd be I'd be pretty okay with abiding by that embargo if I just got all my land back. I don't know. Pros and cons, I suppose. So during the second winter that he was living at Borg, after Scott Ligram's death, Aik became melancholy, and this was more marked as the winter went on. It's not just winter depression, you guys. It's this curse that Gunhild has worked. And so when the summer came, Aik let it be known that he was going out voyaging for the summer, and he got a crew and he decided to sail to England. There were 30 men on this ship. Asgard remained behind and took charge of the house. Aik's purpose was to seek King Athelstan after the promise that had been made to Aik in their last parting. So he oh, is good. I'm glad he's actually more. remembered. He, he yes. did say he'd come back. Yeah, he did say. He absolutely did say he would come back. So that's fun that we get to see that follow-up. And also I thought this was interesting because this is an actual named woman who is like who has control of a massive, massive estate. And that's really cool because we don't often get to see that in medieval texts. I think in the sagas, it's often kind of implied to be happening in the background. Yes, all the time. All the time. And we do get, we do see it in a lot of the chivalric tales where there's like the lady of the house and whoever else her husband is out, you know, doing a pillaging. So 
it does occur, but it's, I just wanted to call it out in this instance, because this is one of the most powerful women in all of Iceland who's doing this. So anyway, he goes to England, and when they found men to speak with, they learnt these tidings that Aik thought good, that with King Athelstan all was well and with his kingdom. But other tidings were there which Aik thought were dangerous, or rather, not so good. To wit, that King Eric Bloodaxe was there with Gunhilda. No, we couldn't see this coming at all! <laughs> and that they had government of the province, and that Eric was but a short way up in the country in the town of York. So there's a lot going on here. But the good news is, is that Arnbjorn was there with King Eric, and we remember that Arnbjorn has been sort of this mediator between Eric and the king for a long time. But I don't know, I just love this entire scenario because it feels very organic and also Game of Thronesy at the same time. You've got this king who's been ousted, but he went to a smaller kingdom. He took control there. And oh, meanwhile, his long lost enemy shows up and he's like, shoot, you're the king now here. Like the sheer coincidence of that. Yeah. 10 out of 10. Love the drama. Is he king king or is he just like hold like is he king in his own right or is he king under Athelstan? Does it specify? It doesn't specify. I think he's king under Athelstan. I feel like that would make more sense. Yeah, but I don't know. It seems weird for Athelstan to just say like, okay, you can just have part of my kingdom like free and clear. Well, you do have to remember that the Scots like were not giving him any slack. So he's like, eh, I'll bet these Viking guys can take care of it. And then I don't have to deal with it. If he were really that concerned about it, he could just stop trying to rule Scotland instead of giving away part of England. Yeah, but he's a man. He's a king. He wants to keep it. It's his now. Uh Uh-huh. No matter how problematic it is. I don't know. So anyway, he's at least like, he's a tributary king-ish. He's a king in exile. However you want to term it. And so when Aeg heard these tidings, he resolved about what to do. He thought he had a little hope of escape, though he could try and conceal himself and go disguised. No, you can't. (laughs) You have the most distinctive face in Northern Europe. He really does. He really does. But hang on, hang on. He should try to conceal himself and go disguised as long as he might. Please say dresses in drag. Till he were clear of Eric's dominion. So he's trying to like sneak through Scotland to go see Athelstan in England. For he was at that time easily known by any who could see him. Yes. No. Eric no inquired where in the town Arambjorn was housed, and he gained this information. Then he rode to the house, and Eric said, I would fain, good fellow, that you should go into the hall and ask Arinbjorn whether he will speak within or without to Aeg's Katlagrimson. So this is like to one of the doormen, essentially. And he's like, hey, can you can you get a guy? I think it's interesting that like, this is the second time he's gotten information without any explanation of how. So I'm just imagining like Ail's player going, I want to roll a gather information check. And yeah. And not bothering to, ask, to act it out. It's like, okay, yeah, you find out Eric's king of Northumbria now. Oh yeah, you find out where Aaron Bjorn's living. Like, yeah, how did you yeah. find it out? We're going to skip over that part. Or like he shows up and he grabs some fisherman and he's like, who rules this land? I roll <laughs> intimidation. Because he's Aeg. Did he kill the fisherman when the fisherman didn't say, I guess you do? <laughs> 
It's a possibility. Oh no. Anyway, the man goes and he's fine. He's like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll go do this errand, whatever. And he goes into the hall and he says quite loudly, there's a man come out here before the door. He's a giant and he begged me to go in and ask whether you would speak without or within to Aix Gatlegrimason. And Aaron Bjorn says, oh, yeah, I'll go, I'll go meet him outside. He won't need to be here long. That's the appropriate decision. Yeah, he understands what things are happening here. He doesn't yeah, want to house this a guy. a problem. You shouldn't yeah. invite him in. Don't invite him in. And so Aaron Bjorn bade them all take up to the tables and went out with all his house carls with him. So he's like going out with everybody. Aeg tells him in a few words of his journey. And now you shall see what counsel I ought to take if you'll give me any help, he says. And Aaron Bjorn replies, have you, before you came to this house, met any men in the town who are likely to have known you? Like, will you be, are you recognized here yet? And Aeg says, no. And Aaron Bjorn then says, grab your f***ing weapons. They Excuse? did so. <laughs> I thought the plan was disguise. So did I. But here we go. And so when they were all armed, they went to the king's house. How do you think this is gonna go? Now remember, they have Aaron Bjorn with them. There's no way they win, right? Like, I can't imagine. I think I would remember if Ael just killed a king out of, like, proactive, we're gonna fight anyway, so we might as well. Like, I think that would stick in my head. Yeah. So I feel like this is gonna go badly for him. And I'm still disappointed that he didn't, like, dress as a nun or anything. I think that would have been hilarious 10 out of 10. But no, they they go to this hall. And when they came to the door, Arnbjorn knocked and said, like, hey, can I come in? And Arnbjorn bade that they go 12 in number, naming for this Aik and 10 others. Now I shall bring you before the king, and you shall clasp his foot, and I will be your spokesman. Why are they armed for this? That seems counterproductive. I would agree with this, but you have to remember what Gunhild has done to them before. Like, she and her brothers were the ones who went to a peaceful religious gathering and started slaughtering people. And they're not going to let that happen again. And quite frankly, I can't blame them. I feel like showing up with weapons is just going to make sure that everyone else resorts to weapons faster. I mean, yes. And I don't know. You're walking into your enemy's house. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like also we've got to keep in mind that this is ale, so right. other people resort to violence is, like, not necessarily a negative outcome in his mind. And yes, for him. So basically he's saying, I want you to grovel in front of the king. So we'll see how this goes. Can you grovel sarcastically? Because I feel like that's that would be ale's move. Let's find out. So Arnbjorn comes before the king and says... I lead before you, one who has come a long way to seek thee in your place, like in your home, and to be reconciled with you. Great is this honor to you, my lord, when your enemies travel of their own free will from other lands, and deem they cannot endure your wrath, though you are to be nowhere near. I like that he's actively misleading him about the fact that he came here by accident. By, yes, he exactly. He did not know you were here. Yeah, yeah. But they're, you know, this, you know. This is on purpose. Let, let the bard talk. Let the bard talk, right? Let him get of you good terms, seeing that he has so magnified your honor, and as you may now see, by braving many seas and dangers to come hither to you from his own home. No compulsion drove him of this journey. Nothing but goodwill to you. 
I can only imagine when he says no compulsion drove him, Gunhild's just like, (laughs) (laughs) She knows. She knows. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. So the king looked around and saw over men's heads where Aeok stood, because remember, he's like head and shoulders above everybody else. And the king knew him at once, and darting a keen glance at him, which, cheeky, said, You are so bold, Aeok, that you have dared come before me. The last parting from me was such that you could have little hope of life next time we met. That's right. He was dragged out of the court screaming curses at him. Yes. And then he killed, like, his relative. Didn't he kill a kid? Yeah, that was the bear situation. Was was the kid related to the king? I can't remember. It was like a cousin or something. Or like like a nephew, I think. Future Mac here. Roggenwald was actually the king's son. That'll be mentioned a couple times in this episode, but I don't think past Mac and past Zoe made the connection that that was the same person. So Aeot goes up to the table and clasps his foot and sings a little verse. And King Eric says, I need not count the crimes on your hands, for there are so many and so grand that each one might well warrant that you should die. You have nothing else to expect, but that here you will die. And this the mightiest know that you will get no terms from me. And Gunhild decides to stick her nose in and say, why don't we just kill him now? I was just thinking that. (laughs) This is why I like her. She's got a practical mind. She is. She's like, let's just deal with this. Enough with the talk. Remember what Aeok has done to you, slaying your friends and kin and your own son to boot and cursed you himself. Was it ever known that a king has dealt with this dishonor before? And Arambjorn jumps back in and says, if Aeok has spoken evil of the king, he can now atone for all of this in words of praise. So he's like, sing a song. It is what you do, Aeol. You're a warrior poet, right? Exactly. Do the poet thing. Do the poet thing. Gunhild said, we will hear none of this praise. I think that Aeok should be led out and beheaded. I don't want to hear anything he has to say. And Arnbjorn, on, you know, on the other hand, says like, oh, no, no, like, don't don't be egged on to any dastardly work. That is literally what the text says. That's because the egged on is actually a borrowing from Old Norse. It has nothing to do with eggs. Really? Yeah, the word they're translating as egged on is eggya. Oh, I like that. Did not know that. Future Mac here again. I went to check just to make sure that the Norse word eggya also didn't have anything to do with eggs. And indeed, it looks like the leading theory is that it's actually from the Norse word for edge, which is spelled the same as egg, like a sword's edge. So that's why it has that meaning. Someone egging you on is like sharpening a sword, metaphorically. So don't be egged on to do any dastardly work. Don't have Aeok slain by night, for night slaying is murder, which is true. That is true. That is true. So it's already nighttime, like, don't do this, this is murder. And the king says, all right, fine, Aaron Bjorn, I won't, I won't do the murder thing, I'll do a legal killing. Aeok shall live tonight. And then Gunhild says, hand me an axe. <laughs> yeah, right? Ugh. I'll murder. We need her back. <laughs> Anyway, so Arnbjorn thanks the king and says, 
We hope, my lord, that henceforth Aeg's cause will take a better turn, and though Aeg has done great wrong against you, look upon this, that he has suffered much from you and your kin. So he's like, you did stuff to him too, bud. King Harold took the life of Thorolf, his father, and brother, blah blah blah, and you, king, did break the law in Aeg's own case for the sake of Bergenund, and that's, this is like the lawsuit, blah 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 thing. Yeah, you're the reason why Ale doesn't have a fifth summer home. How yeah. dare <laughs> The lives of billionaires, right? Yeah. Also, your dad killed his uncle or whatever, but there's like, a that's, lot of that's the killings. previous generation. I know, there's a lot of previous killings. So, he lays out all of these things that King Eric has done or his family has done, blah, blah, blah. And then they go back to the house. And when they came in, they went into a small upper room and talked the matter over, which I think is very wise to be doing because Aaron Bjorn's like, look, you lived through the night. I need you to just suck up to the king one more day. I know that Gunhilda will set her mind on marring your cause. Now I would fain Wait, that we I'm take this counsel. I'm remembering this now. I uh-huh. know. The, I remember what the plan is. Okay. Yep. Yep. That you will be awake through the night and compose a song of praise about King Eric. I think it should be a poem of 20 stanzas that you recite tomorrow when we come before the king. Thus did Bragi my kinsman when he was under the wrath of King Bjorn of Sweden. He composed a poem of praise about him in one night and for it received his head. That is to say, he didn't get his head f***ing chopped off. Right. Yeah, okay, I remember this now. Yeah, now we might do the same thing with the king. Write him a poem, my guy, is the answer here. <laughs> a long one. A long one. 20 stanzas, which I have memorized a poem of similar length. It's very difficult. So, I shall try this counsel, but this is the last thing that I was ever meant to sing, says Aeik. Arnbjorn bade him give it a try. You should have <laughs> gone with my nun plan. I know, like, if they just didn't go to England in the first place, like, if they if they skipped Scotland and went to England. But then again, like, like... As soon as you find out Eric's king... Just leave. Just leave. Yeah. Because nobody saw you. See, the thing that I like is, oh, the last time I was here, this was ruled by a different person. Can you imagine the state of the world where you, like, you visit a place and then when you go back the next time, like, you didn't hear news about this or anything. You just show up and you're like, oh, new management. Yeah, especially if this was someone who was ruling a different country last you heard. Exactly! Like, this is mind-boggling. It's like if when you had gone abroad for your MA program, you'd shown up in Ireland and found out that Trump was somehow president there, too. Exactly! Like, or there what, instead. Excuse, excuse me? Like, what? Like, he'd been impeached in the U.S. and just gone over and there. And went to Ireland and now is president of Ireland. And I, what? Like, this is nutty to be happening. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a really weird thing to think about in like our modern era where we definitely hear about any change of heads of state. Yep. So anyway, Aaron Bjorn goes to bed and Aeg stays up all night. And in the morning, he goes up and he says to Aeg, like, how are you getting on with this poem? And Aeg said, nothing's done. A swallow sat by the, the, the frickin' window and twittered all night long and I didn't do anything. I couldn't think of anything. Also, I've just received word that suddenly Joe Biden is king of the Isle of Wight. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, no. So anyway, Arnbjorn 
went away out by the door leading up to the house roof, and there he sat by the window of the upper room where the bird had sat, and he saw that something of a shape which possessed moved away from the roof. Arenbjorn sat by the window all night till dawn, but after Arenbjorn had come there, it composed a poem, and he got it so by heart so that he could recite it in the morning. Okay, so so what happened there is... Arnbjorn comes to check on Ale. Yep. He's like, how's that poem coming? Ale mm-hmm. says, I haven't written it because there's a noisy bird. And mm-hmm. Arnbjorn says, I will stand by the window all night and scare away the bird. Correct. And also the bird is a witch. Is a witch, yeah. Presumably Gunhild. Or one of her little ladies, yes. Yeah. I, I sort of assume that she has a posse. I mean, if she doesn't, she should get on that. That would be a good idea. Yeah, I feel like I feel like she's got a little group, you know, a little group of witches, a coven. Is it Coven or Coven? I've always heard Coven. Coven. That sounds but right. I couldn't swear to it. Yeah. I think Coven is a very American pronunciation. Anyway, he's got his poem. So, King Eric went to the table as according to his wont, and many people were there with him. And when Arnbjorn knew this, he went to the table with all of his followers, fully armed again. I know. It's like not they, helpful, my guy. It's not. It's really not. But here we are. So anyway, he's like, here we go. Move. Yeah, back back inside the house. And he presents Aeg. And he says, here is Aeg. He has not run away overnight. Which I guess is a real possibility. Because you did let him live and let him leave. So, real possibility. But he's like, hey, Aeg's still here. And get this. He wrote you a poem. Da-da-da. Yeah, so there's there's a bunch of other, like to doing and doing eyeing. As he's doing this, Gunhild says, like, stop it, stop it, shut up. You're prattling on. I don't want to hear it. You've done a lot of good for the king, but you owe far more duty to King Eric than to Aeg. It is not good for you to ask that Aeg go unpunished from King Eric's presence. Also, hey, is that the sun? Guess what's not murder anymore? Oops. Yeah. So I like this because you can either read it as like a, like, hey, why are you defending this guy? Or you can read it as a threat. Like, it's not good for you to be defending him. I mean, I think it's, I, I feel like it's definitely both. It's gotta be both. So Aaron Bjorn then replies and says, if you, King and you, good Hilda, have resolved that Aeg shall not get any terms, then this is the manly course to give him respite and leave to go for a week, that he may look out for himself of his own free will any way he came hither to seek you and therefore hoped for peace. Thereafter this is done, let your dealings end together. So he's like, just like, forget the whole thing. Just let him go. You, you, for, let him go. And Gunhild obviously is like not having it and says, you're definitely more faithful to Aeg than to the king. And if Aeg is to right hence for a week, then he will in time become to King Athelstan, like go, he'll, he'll show up to King Athelstan. But King Eric cannot now hide this from himself, that every king is now stronger than he is. Whereas a little while ago, it had been deemed incredible that King Eric would not have the will or energy to avenge wrongs on anyone, let alone Aeg. So here she's basically negging her husband. Yeah. And is saying like, we're not letting him go because... This is the one thing that my husband can do to, like, have a form of power because he's now a powerless little king. Yeah, like, we, we've been driven out of our kingdom and you want us to just let Ale wander across the border and seek asylum and then we get to be humiliated by the fact that we can't get him back? 
Yeah. Like, no, we should we should definitely kill Ale, and we should probably kill Aaronbjorn. Yeah, we should probably kill quite a few people here. So, basically, Aaronbjorn says, like, oh, like, no one's gonna call King Eric a greater man for killing a foreigner and a yeoman's son. Like, poo-poo. We all know that, you know, Eric's not really, like, he's not a man of power. What? He's a family man. He started the startup in his in his garage. Mm. He's like the rest <laughs> of us. <laughs> Those he's just, sort of He's vibes. just a farmer. Yeah, you know. So he tries that tack. And Gunhild says, "I'll think better of Eric if he kills him." Yeah, exactly. Like, so the king answers, "Like, wow, you're you're a pretty damn eager champion for Aix. So let's see, like, what actually." you know, happens here. He's gonna he's gonna let Aik have his peace. And so he begins his poem and he sings it. The poem's title is literally just called Head Ransom, which makes sense, but that's pretty on the nose. So I'm not going to go through all of it because it is right, it's 20, 20 stanzas. stanzas. But I will read 17 and 18 because I've highlighted them and I wanted to give you guys just a taste. So here we go. This is talking about the king himself. Gems from wrists he gives, glittering armlets, rives, rives, like riven, like to, to, oh. to take, essentially. Lashing ring despiser, loves not hoarding miser, Frodi's flower of gold, gladdens rovers bold, prince bestoweth scorning pebbles hand adorning. Foeman might not stand for his deathful brand. You bow loudly sang, sword blades meeting rang, lance's eye were cast. Still he, the land held fast, proud Eric Prince renowned, and praise his feats hath crowned. I really feel like making it rhyme just makes it worse. Yeah, it, it loses a lot in translation, which is very sad. Yeah, it's already going to lose stuff in translation. It's going to lose worse if you make it rhyme. If you make it rhyme, yeah. So point is here, you sort of get at least the tenor a little bit of these Icelandic poems that are very much, they're, they're a bit choppy. You don't really mm -hmm. get full thoughts. You sort of get snippets, blinks, snapshots, if you will, of ideas and tones and like those glittering armlets being torn off and gems and rings, things like that. I really like that as a trait of this this type of poetry, especially in comparison to like Enlightenment poetry and John Donne and Renaissance poetry. Like, ugh, that's very uh, flowery and, and that sort of thing. Like, I would rather read this than a sonnet any day. But that's sort of a taste, a little bit of a taste of these things. It's much harder to do narrative poetry in the in the Skaldic style, though. Which yes. Which is why most of the great Norse literature is prose. Yes, exactly. All right, so after this entire thing, King Eric sat upright while Eric recited the poem and looked keenly at him. And when the song of praise was ended, then spake the king. Right well was this poem recited, and now, Arinbjorn, I have resolved about the cause between Egil and myself. You have pleaded Aeg's cause with great eagerness, and since you offer a conflict with me, like you're risking an, a conflict with me, I shall, for your sake, do what you have asked, letting Aeg go from my land safe and unhurt. He's really that impressed? I guess. See, and I think this is something that we forget, is that, again, to be a warrior is also to be a poet. 
and there is a lot more weight in words being given here than I think we are traditionally familiar with. Oh, I mean, if is the bit you read representative? Because it was literally just a list of like things you are basically required to say about any king in heroic poetry. Like they're, it's entirely generic. I do like the last one here. Because essentially he is putting his ego aside in this poem. He says, Silence I have broken, a sovereign's glory spoken, words I knew well fitting, warrior council sitting, praise from heart I bring, praise to honored king, plain I sang and clear a song that all could hear. So he's he's basically saying like, I'm sucking up my ego. I know that this is befitting of a king. I will sing this poem, blah, 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 from my heart. Sure, but this poem is supposed to be about Eric, not Ale. Why is he even talking about himself? <laughs> That's true, but come on, he's doing his best. Like, all this stuff about Eric was just like, he gives rings, he wields swords, and I'm like, yeah. This is true. Uh, let's Kings see. do that. Okay, there there are some references to more or less specific battles here. I'm gonna try and pull this up. Alright, alright. Shall I let you do that, or shall I go on and we'll come back to it? Uh, give me a minute so I okay. can... Okay. Aik does a couple more verses after this, too. He, like, improvs after the king lets him go, which is pretty d- funny, in my opinion. He's like, here's the honorable mentions that I, uh, <laughs> that I threw out last minute. All right, so... I like that you're on a personal quest to judge whether this poem is good or not. Yeah, I want to know. It was enough for King Eric. Okay, so the first stanza is about Aeol. The second stanza is about Aeol. Here we go. The third stanza is a proper introduction that's saying, like, okay, the king has done wars. Very good. Fourth is pretty generic battle. Fifth is generic battle. Six is also, like, standard battle-like phrasing. And it's the first time Eric's name is mentioned. (laughs) Oh, no. Seven is generic battle. Eight is generic battle. Nine mentions Eric again, but it's literally the same sentence. He's just repeating. Okay, makes sense. Which is a poetic device, fine, whatever. Yes, yes, we'll, we'll let that one slide. Ten, it's, it's more battle, but it's good. It calls him Scotland's Scourge. That's at least kind of specific. There we go. That's progress. I was going to say, it does reference some of his stuff. Yeah. But like most of this is just like, yeah, battle happened, battle happened, battle happened. Javelins flew, bows were bent, spears split, archers strings. Like, oh, he's, he's just saying, like, battle <laughs> I don't think you're the audience he had in mind here. Don't forget also that a lot of poetic skill was, like, how obscure can you get with your kennings? True. Rather than, like, can you reference all of my great feats? All right. And the last two stanzas are also about Ale. So that means one-fifth of this poem about Eric is actually about Ale. See, I just think that means that he's pretty clever. Like, he gets away with this, and it's still about him. I'm just just saying, like, I think Eric is more impressed than he should be. That's fair. Wow. But I'm not a poet. Like, maybe it's very impressive. He does give, like, a little asterisk to this, you know, you get to live thing. And that is, after leaving my presence in this hall... Never, ever come before my own eyes, nor my son's eyes, nor ever be in the ways of myself or my people. I'm sorry. He actually says, do not speak to me or my son ever again. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Do not speak to me or my son or my son or my son ever again. 
but I give you now your head for this time for this reason that you came freely into my power. I will do no dastardly deed upon you, yet know this for sure, that this is not a reconciliation with me or my sons, or of any of our kin who wish to wreck their vengeance. So he's like, we're not at peace, but I'll let you go. So this entire side quest was entirely preventable by doing the drag thing. Yeah, or again, just leaving. Just leaving. Like, hit the bricks. Yeah, get out of there. So at this point, Aeg does another little poem, and he goes, and he and Aramjorn, like, reconcile afterwards. They're like, thanks, man. You did great. You helped me. And Aeg gives him a ring that is, or well, two rings that are each weighing a mark. So I think these are, like, pretty hefty rings. All right. Am I being uncharitable, or is Ael in exactly the position he was before he came to Arenbjorn? Before he came to Arenbjorn, he was like, oh man, if Eric sees me, he'll kill me. And then when yes. he leaves, Eric's like, by the way, if I see you again, I'll kill you. Yeah, I don't think much has changed here. This whole thing was pointless. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It's a poetic device that we get to stick the poem in for. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe this means, like, his men will not be ordered to kill him on sight. Maybe it means he can, like, walk through Scotland because it's still not technically his land. I don't know. I can see that. But still, it's not a good situation. I admit that, like, it's cool that we got a witch pretending to be a bird. That was pretty great. Yeah. We're, like, shapeshifted. Yeah. I'm here for that. I like Gunhild's whole role here. but Yes. From Ail's perspective, like, why did he do this? None of Nothing this is has better. changed. And to be fair, like, Arnbjorn did not tell him what they were going to do beforehand. He just said, get your weapons. Yeah, he probably thought they were going to fight. Yeah, that's probably what he wanted in the first place, too. And instead he's like, you, you know, I gotta, I gotta kiss, I gotta kiss his, his boot. Really? I'm gonna be a boot licker for you? Not Okay. I am not into this sort of thing. Yeah. So, anyway, they exchange gifts, and Aik gives Aaron Bjorn some rings, which are not like finger rings. These are like bracelets, essentially. Yeah. And Aaron Bjorn gives Aik a sword, which is named, which is why I highlighted this paragraph. It is called... Fred. Not quite. Dragvandil. That's, it sounds cool. It sounds it really mean? cool. I don't know, actually. It doesn't, it doesn't tell me. Let's, let's pop it into Google Translate. That won't go wrong. I don't think that's going to help a whole lot. But it might recognize it. Well, it is a Final Fantasy sword. <laughs> I can appreciate that. I guess it just means of a sword. I think that's the same computer problem that insists that the etymology of the word Holofernes is a Shakespeare character. Oof. Rip. Future Mac here. This is something I ran across several years ago when trying to double-check what a medieval text said about the meaning of the name Holofernes. I just now checked to see if this still happens. And yes, if you Google Holofernes name meaning, the first result is indeed Holofernes is a Shakespearean name, meaning a schoolmaster, which is not actually helpful at all. So I think that's the same kind of thing that's getting sword when Zoe tries to look up what this sword's name means. I don't need the Final Fantasy meaning, thank you, though. So anyway, this sword had been given to Arambjorn by Thorolf Skallagrimason, 
but before Skalagrima had received it from Thorolf. So, like, basically, it's going back into the family. All right, cool. And they leave with much affection. Blah, blah, blah. Then, Eik came also to speak with King Athelstan and told him his intention. I want to go eastwards to Norway this summer and see after the property, which King Eric and, I hate this guy's name, Bergenund, Atli the Short, Bergenund's brother, is now in possession of this land. I know that if a message of yours is added, I shall get the law in this matter, because Hakon is now, you know, ruler in Norway. And don't forget that Hakon is Athelstan's foster son, so they're very close, they're tight-knit. And the king said that Eric should rule his own goings, But it is best, I think, that you go with me and are made defender of my land and command my army. I will promote you to great honor. Aix says, I would love to take up this offer, but I I first have to go see after my property. And so Aix says, all right, fine. Here's a merchant ship. Here's some cargo. Go ahead. And when Aix made ready his ship, Thorstein, Eric's son, went with him, blah, blah, blah. And they parted with much friendship. All right. By the way, according to K.S. Wetter and R. Andrew McDonald, Dragvandil means... Slicer. That's way less cool yep. than what I thought. Here's the citation. Perfect. It's a Tolkien article. I'll take that. You know what? Resonances of medieval swords and sword lore. <gasps> that looks fun. We'll have to go through that one. We should do some more article episodes. I feel like those were a hit. Listeners, let us know. Do you want more article episodes? We had a lot of fun doing those. Request topics if you feel like it. Anyway, so he's now got Slicer in his possession, which, you know, is not a worse name than Sting. So it's not bad, I guess. Anyway, although, like, how bad is it for you to, like, have a sword that's, like, Dragvandil in Final Fantasy, and, and like then you realize it's just named Slicer, like, like a bread slicer, you know? Yeah. It's a little Dragvandil sad. Dragvandil sounds cool. I'll it give does it that. sound cool. And it's possible that Slicer is not the... I mean, I'm assuming these people know what they're talking about, but it is just an aside in an article about something else. Fair. But also, like, to that point, like, what else are you going to name your sword? Like, Slicer's a pretty good name. Yeah. It's pretty apt. And I'm assuming they didn't do that translation because the fact that they just kind of dropped that makes me think that like there's a maybe there's a more modern translation of Ale Saga out there that does translate it, and that's yeah. where they got it. It's got to be something. Mr. Mac here. The Bernard Scudder translation, which is the one published by Penguin Classics and is probably the most widespread version out there. Introduces the sword as Dragvandil, but then puts Slicer in parentheses afterwards and refers to it as Slicer thereafter. That's probably what our article authors are thinking of because they also say Dragvandil and then in parentheses Slicer. So that's why. Alright, anyway, King Hakon, Athelson's foster son, still was ruling Norway, as was told before. So just so we all remember, because these sagas go across multiple generations, multiple nations, all that good stuff. And Thorstein started on his journey and Eik with him. And when they came before King Hakon, they declared their errand with the king. And Thorstein explained the cause and produced witnesses that he was the rightful owner of all the inheritance that was claimed. The king received this matter well and let Thorstein obtain his possessions. And he was made a baron, even as his father had been. So we're actually seeing change in Norway due to this, like, kingship flip, which is pretty cool. 
Aeok also went before King Hakon and declared his errand, giving therewith King Athelstan's message and tokens. Aeok claimed the property that had belonged to Bjorn Yeoman, lands and chattels. Half of this property he claimed for himself and Asgard his wife, and he offered witness and oaths to his cause. He said, too, that he had said all of this before King Eric, adding that he had not gotten law at that point, owing to King Eric's power and the prompting of Gunhilda. Mm -hmm. Aeok set forth the whole cause which had been tried at the Gouda Thing. Then he begged the king to grant him the law in this matter. King Hakon said, I have heard that my brother Eric and with him Gudhilda both assert that you have cast a stone beyond thy strength in thy dealings with them. Like, you, you've gone so far. Like, you bit off more than you could chew with them. Now, I think that Eric and I have not the luck to agree and you might well be content that I shall do nothing in this cause. So he's sort of saying, like, I don't want anything to do with this. Like, yeah. I didn't come like, into I, this. I don't agree with Eric's actions, but also... But... Uh... Yeah, I don't know, man. Aik replies, Don't be silent about such great causes, O King. Because remember, this is a lot of property and land. Like, we're not talking about, like, a, a small plot. We're talking about a massive household here. Great king, you cannot keep this property from me that belongs to my wife's family. Yes. I am so poor and will surely starve with only my four estates. Like, this is entirely symbolic. He has no yes. use for this land. Yes, exactly. And he doesn't even stay in Norway. You don't even live in this country. Yeah. He has it for tax purposes. Yeah, basically. <laughs> For all men here in the land, natives or foreigners, must hearken to your bidding or banning. I have heard that you have established firm land in the law that is right for everyone. Now I know that you will let me get these even as other men. Like, you, you have to give me this land. Like, you're establishing this. I am of the birth and have strength of kinsfolk enough in Norway still to win the land against Athli the Short. But as for the cause between myself and Eric... I have this to say to you, that I went before him and that we so parted and that he bade me go in peace whither I would. I will offer you, my lord, following in service. I know that there will be with you men who can in no way be thought of more martial in appearance than I. Wait, Back hold on, hold on, hold on. Did Ail just threaten the king? No, he's, he's offering his service. He's like, you've got some tough guys, but none of them are tougher than I am, basically. He's like, look around, they're all martial, but I'm more martial. Like, I'm, I'm more manly. I'm just saying, like, saying I'm stronger than your guards, your majesty, doesn't sound like a friendly statement. No, but it does sound better when you're saying, you should let me work for you because I'm super strong and I'm stronger than all your men. It's not great. But it's better. Now, rumor may go around that I am unpredictable, <laughs> have a personality disorder, and often murder people, but I am tall. <laughs> Not rich people. <laughs> Not you, O oh king. Other than that one royal 12-year-old. <laughs> but he thought I was a bear, so he deserved it. Oh my gosh. And not the gay kind of bear. Rip. Although I'll bet there's a lot of Vikings who are bears in that way. Ale might qualify. Yeah, he. Yeah, I'll bet he did. Anyway, my foreboding is that it will not be long before you and King Eric meet, if you both live. That sounds like a threat. And I will be surprised mm -hmm. if you come not then to think that Gunhilda has borne too many sons. Excuse me, what? 
Yeah, so here he's essentially saying, when you meet your brother, you might think that he's got one too many sons, and they're getting older, and they might try and take the kingship from you. I don't know, just planting that seed, that might be an issue for you. Have you considered killing more royal children? (laughs) I liked it. (laughs) That is essentially what he suggests. And the king says, um... Thanks for the offer. I don't want you as my liege man. That's a smart decision. No, but it gets better because then he says, your kin have hewn too many gaps in our household (laughs) for for that to be a good idea. So he says, go back to Iceland and dwell there on your father's inheritance and we'll just leave you alone. But there's there's too much drama here for you. I don't want to deal with it. And for only for the sake of my father, my foster father, King Athelstan, that I'm gonna let you go. Like, you're gonna you're gonna get the law, you're gonna you're gonna get the land, whatever. Just go. I need you to leave this this freaking country, my guy. Ale, why do you want to be here? Why do you want to work for me? Go back to go Iceland. Home. Yeah. So anyway, Aik thanks the king for his words, and he's like, okay, cool. Awesome. Can I have a token, essentially, to Thord in our land and other barons in Sogan in Hordeland? And I think this is one of those, like, we're not super privy to it, but hey, can you just say, like, I have this land now and it's all good, I think is what's going on here. I know this is just a me thing. This is absolutely not ever what they mean. But whenever someone in a medieval text says, may I have a token, I think of one of those arcade tokens. Oh, I like that. See, I always think of it as like the chivalric thing where the princess gives like her favorite knight a little token. Like, (laughs) can I just give him my bandana to wear? That would be really cute. Your majesty, can I take your garter belt back to (laughs) Iceland? And a lock of your hair. Basically that, yeah. That's what I think of, even though that is not correct. So anyway, Thorstein and Aeg make ready for their journey because they had ended their errand. And Thorstein bade him settle his journey as he would, so Thorstein and Aeg separated. Then Aeg went his way with twelve other men. They came to an island called Hod, and they went to pass the night in a farm called Bindheim. This was a well-to-do homestead in which dwelt a baron named Fridgir. He was young in years and had but lately inherited his father's property. His mother was named Gida. She was a sister of Lord Arenbjorn, a woman of noble presence and wealthy. In the evening, Eik sat next to Fridgir and his comrades outside of him, so like around him. There was much drink and sumptuous viands. I, I have not heard of that one. Food. Food. I like that word. My brain immediately went to vittles when I read it the first time. So anyway. I think those actually might be etymologically related. I think so. That makes sense. Anyway. Gida, the housemistress, in the evening had some talk with Aeth. She inquired about Arenbjorn, her brother, and other of her kinsmen who had gone to England with Arenbjorn. Aeg answered her inquiries. Then she asked what tidings had befallen in Aeg's journey, and he told her plainly. And then he sings a little song. So he didn't tell her plainly. He told her in poetry. No, no, he told her plainly, and then he sings to her, additionally. Oh, okay. It's both. And Aik was very twinkle, cheerful. Twinkle. <laughs> he is so creepy. He's so creepy. It just, the whole thing makes me uncomfortable. It's just sensible to be uncomfortable around him because he's violent and unpredictable. He is. Like, it's not that he's creepy, it's that at any moment he might kill someone. And you won't know who. It could be you. 
So he's very cheerful this evening, but Fridger and his household were rather silent. Eric saw there was a maiden fair and well-dressed, and he was told that this was Fridger's sister. The maiden was sad and wept constantly, which they all thought was strange. Why? We're, we're gonna get there. Because Eil looked at her and it freaked her out, because that's fair. You're not gonna like where this goes. I already don't like where this is. They were there for the night, but in the morning the wind was blowing hard and there was no pudding to see, so they had to stay there another night. Then went Fridger and with him Gita to Aeg and offered that he and his comrades should stay there again until they had good weather, and Aeg accepted. Gita then went to speak with her son and talked low with him, Aeg standing the while and waiting for them. So like, they're just, just off, to the, off to the side. Not taking up a lot of space or anything. Hardly notice him. Yeah, not like he's literally a giant. Aeg said to the maiden, why are you weeping? I never see you cheerful. And she could not answer, but like kept crying. And Fridger now said to his mother, I will not now ask this. Or his mother says aloud, I will not ask this. They are now even more ready for their journey. So she's like not super comfortable with things that are happening here. And Gita went to Aeg and said, I will tell you, Aeg, how things are here with us. And this is like why all the crying and sadness is going on. There is a man named Yot the Pale. He is a berserker and a duelist, and he is hated. He came here and asked my daughter to wife, but we answered at once, refusing the match. Whereupon he challenged my son to a wager of battle, and he is to go tomorrow to this combat on an island called Vors. Now I wished, Aeg, that you should go to the combat with him. Blah blah blah. It would soon be shown if Arnbjorn were here in the land that we should not endure a fellow such as Yot. So basically, like, we need a strong guy to get rid of him. My son's probably not up for it because this guy's a berserker. We really don't want him to die, but also I don't want to give this, you know, give my daughter away to him because he is hated. Oh, this is right up Ale's alley. That's just like, yeah. are you saying I'm allowed to kill this one? <laughs> I can kill this guy? So he's like, this is my duty. I'm so ready to do this for Aaron Bjorn and for you. Like, This is what I do. He's so excited. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, you guys are housing me here. I get to kill people. This is great. So they make a plan to do this. And Aeg goes back into the hall and they sat there for the day, blah, blah, blah. And then they go out and have this great banquet, and on the morrow, Fridger made to go ready and many with him, and Eik was one of the party, and it was good traveling weather, so like, the weather's turned, they could go, but Eik wants to kill this guy. And now they soon come to the island. Well, they do, I guess they do have to sail to the island, so it's important. Anyway. Which is, by the way, in case anyone's listening who hasn't also listened to Saga Thing, Islands are the traditional place for a duel. The Icelandic word for a duel is holmgang, which means island going. I like that. That's really cool. Actually, this is a perfect place to put that because we get a sort of sense of what this land looks like. There was a fair plain near the sea, which was to be the place of combat. The ground was marked out by stones lying round yep. in a ring. Soon came thither Ljot and his party. Then he made him ready for combat. He had a shield and a sword. Liot was a man of vast size and very strong, and as he came forward onto the field to the ground of combat, a fit of berserk fury seized him. He began to bellow hideously and bit his shield. Fridgeir was not a tall man. He was slenderly built, comely in face, and not very strong. He was not used to combat, but when Eik saw Liot, he sung a stave. 
It fits not young Freidgir to fight with this warrior. Grim Gnar of Shieldrim, which, what a sentence. By his gods who doth curse, I, better, may meet him, may rescue the maiden. Full fearsome he stareth, yet fey are his eyes. Step aside, twink, I've got this. Yeah, essentially, yes. But I really like this because of the sheer... First off, I like this because they have a freaking battle map already. They yeah. have an island for this, which is really cool. And then this guy goes into a fit of berserker fury and bites his shield, which... What a vision. Like, terrifying. But I kind of want to see it. I think I've heard that before as like a, a standard berserker image. This really? might be where, where that comes from. Probably. I like that, though. That's fun. The word fey can re- relate to fairies. In this case, it probably doesn't. But it doesn't in this case, because in this case, it means someone who's fated to die. Like, yes. fated. They are going to die. So Aik is out here basically saying, like, fey are his eyes. Like, this guy is going to die. I'm going to come out here and kill him. That's Fey, F-E-Y. Yes. Is fated to die, which is why I usually spell Fey like fairies, F-A-E, because I, I think the yeah. fated to die thing is a cool word and I don't want to mix them. Spellings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Lyot saw where Aeok stood and heard his words. He said, come hither, big man. He <laughs> said, what? <laughs> <laughs> come thou hither, big man, is what he says. You know, I I thought I was just saying nonsense with, like, the bear stuff, but... I know, I know. Especially with, like, the twink thing going on here, too. Because he's got, like, a comely face and all this. Like, poor Fridgear. Anyway, yeah. Come hither, big man, to the holm and fight with me, if you wish it that way. This is a far more even match that I should fight with Fridgear, for I shall deem myself no whit the greater man, though I lay him low on the earth. So he's basically saying, like, if I killed this twink, I would feel, like, real bad about it. Or at least, like, it doesn't mean anything. Like, look at me, look at him, we know how this is going. Like, I I don't even get XP from that. Exactly, exactly. So he's like, come on, give me a real challenge, I'll fight you instead. So... Aik sings another stave, and after this, Aik made himself ready for combat with Bjolt. He had the shield that he was wont to have. That's all the detail we get on the shield. They described his shield in Brunenberg, didn't they? Maybe it's the same one. Yeah, I mean, it's gotta be the same one, because this is the one he's wont to have. So, he's girded with the sword which he called Adder, but in his hand, he held Slicer. Did it, does it actually say Slicer? Or no, does it, say... it says Dragvendel, but I'm okay. saying Slicer now because we know right. what it means. So Adder is translated. Like we're talking about like the poisonous snake. Yeah. So basically he's got like Biter and Slicer, but I'll call it Adder because it's technically. He's not dual wielding. One's no, backup. no. One's backup. Yeah. Don't dual wield, please. Oh, Lord. Oh, no. Don't get me on that You need one. a feat for that. Yeah. And so he went over the boundary that marked the battleground, but Lyot was not then ready. And so Aeok sings another stave, and he's like, you're not ready. <laughs> what, what is he doing that he's not ready? I don't know. He's doing his, his man thing before battle. I don't know. But he already, like, chewed on his shield and went into a berserker rage, and then, like, came out of it enough to discuss, like, who kills tagging who? in the other guy. <laughs> See, I think I think all that really means is he hasn't stepped over into the battlefield yet. Oh, okay. He's not on the ground. 
So anyway, then Lyot came forward on the field and declared the law of combat that he should ever after bear the name of Dastard, who should draw back outside the boundary stones that were set up in a ring round the field of combat. So like, if you step out of it, you're a coward and you will forever be shamed. Yeah, this is why the island thing, by the way, if possible, it should be on a small island so you physically can't leave. That's cool. I like that. You're just going to drown otherwise, because like hell, you're going to be able to swim in that armor. Yeah, and a lot of Vikings can't swim for some reason. Yeah. I mean, a lot of sailors couldn't swim. That just seems so weird. Like, it's not complicated. Like, you could learn if you wanted. If you spend your life on a boat, you should probably think... Like, if you live in Nebraska or something and you can't swim, like, okay, fine. Like, you don't need that skill. But if you're a sailor and you can't swim, like... Learn! So is this a bad time to tell you that the first time I ever learned how to swim was chucking myself off a pier into an Alaskan lake so I could pass my scuba diving test? I mean, honestly, that's pretty in character. (laughs) Did it work? Like, did you figure it out? I figured it out! Like, it's not, it's not hard. (laughs) To be fair, I did, like, sort of know how to doggy paddle, but, like, I do not float. I am, I am not buoyant. I am... Like, negatively buoyant. How did you get to the point where you were taking a scuba diving test but didn't know how to swim? Because I wanted to learn how to scuba dive, but I never learned how to swim. So was this like an entry exam? No, this was like, you have to like pass a treading water test Mm -hmm. as a part of the like open water diver, like to get your certification. But the thing about scuba diving is that otherwise you don't, you're not going to be on top of the water, right? But- Worst case scenario, they want to make sure you're not going to drown. So because I was either on a boat or so focused on being underwater, like I'd never had to tread water before. Hmm. I never had to swim before because Alaska water is really, really cold. If you're diving, like, I feel like that's a subset of swimming. Like, that's a Sure, skill. yeah, but you're not like above water. Like, I never learned how to do the breathing thing uh, okay. and all of that good stuff. Because scuba diving is relatively, relatively effortless compared to swimming on top of water. Hmm. I always assumed diving was was harder. I don't know how to dive. I assumed it was difficult. The more you exert yourself, the more oxygen you use. And so the less time you can be underwater. So you actually want to conserve that stuff and move relatively as little as possible. Yeah, Yeah, it's pretty cool. I hear stories about like, oh, people like drowned while diving. And I'm like, wow, that's that must be a difficult task. It did not occur to me that it might be physically easy. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. It's I mean, you lose your regulator, you can drown pretty easy. But anyway, there are a lot of like mentions in the sagas of like, and he fell overboard. And I was like, great. Did he say no, he sank. He sank. Yeah. This guy's been on a boat his whole life. He can't swim. Come on. Well, I mean, if you're burdened with a whole bunch of frickin' chain mail, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess. I feel like you shouldn't... That's like an extra 50 pounds, at least. I don't know that I could tread water with an extra 50 pounds. That's fair. Maybe I'm judging the Vikings too harshly. (laughs) Alright, anyway. Anyway. They can't leave the circle. They can't leave the circle. And so, this done... Having agreed to all of this, they closed. So they, they come in and Aik dealt a blow at Yot and 
He parried this with his shield, but then Aeg dealt another blow upon him so fast that Lyot got no chance for a blow in return. He drew back to get room for a stroke, but Aeg pressed quickly after him, dealing blows with all his vigor. Lyot went out beyond the boundary stones far into the field, and so ended the first bout. Then Lyot begged for a rest, and Aeg let it be so. They stopped, therefore, and rested. And I think this is really interesting because we actually have them, like, fighting. But then if the rule is broken, Aeg doesn't immediately, like, chase him down and kill him. Mm -hmm. Which I kind of would expect from him. Like, this isn't a battle. This is just, this is a duel to the end. Like he's formal. Yeah, he's not going to kill him outside of that boundary. He's going to kill him in the boundary. So I I don't know. I think it's really interesting. And I I like that they can call time. Yeah, they call, yeah. So these were the laws of wager of battle in those times, that when one man challenged another on any claim and the challenger gained the victory, then he should have as prize of victory that which he had claimed in his challenge. But if he were vanquished, then he should ransom himself for such a price as should be fixed. But if he were slain on the field, then he had forfeited all of his possessions, and who slew him should take his inheritance. This was also a law that if a foreigner died who had no heir in the land, that inheritance fell to the king's treasury. So does that include Ail's Icelandic possessions? I think it would. But more more interestingly here, this means that if Aik wins, he gets the girl. Quite literally. Sorry? I mean, she's not, like, legally tied to Lyot yet. Well, let, right? me, let me read it again. When one man challenged another on any claim and the challenger gained the victory, he should have as the prize of victory that which he claimed. Oh, I see. So... Because of the setup of this, the girl is the stakes. Yes. And the fact that you also get the other guy's property is, like, separate. Yes, correct. So if Aeg wins, he gets the girl plus the property if he kills Lyot. And if he doesn't kill Lyot, he just gets the the girl. But if Lyot kills Aeg, he gets the girl and he gets Aeg's property. But if he doesn't kill Aeg, then he gets a fund, basically. He gets... Some kind of prize money. So, those are the rules. Everyone remembers Ail's married, right? Like, he's his yes. wife is still alive. Asgard, yeah. She's in charge of all the stuff on Iceland. Yeah, we mentioned that, yeah. Now, Eik bade Ljot to be ready. And so, Ljot sprang swiftly to his feet, and Eik bounded at him and dealt another blow at him. He pressed him so close that he was driven back, and the shield shifted from before him. Then smote Aeg at Liot, and the blow came on him above the knee, taking off his leg. Then Liot fell and soon expired. Then Aeg went to find where Fridger and his party stood. He was thanked heartily for his work. Liot's death was little mourned, for he had a he had been a turbulent bully. He was a Swede by birth and had no kin there in the land. He had come thither and amassed wealth by duels. He had slain many worthy landowners, whom he had first challenged to wager of battle for their lands and heritage, and he had now become very wealthy in both land and chattel. So basically, this guy goes around challenging people to duels and just gets his money doing that. I feel like I've heard, uh, I might just be thinking of the last time I read this this saga, but I feel like I've heard of that. I feel like that happens. Yeah, I I feel like I have heard of that strategy being used. Yeah, oh, 100%. So anyway, now it gets to have all of that. So I don't even know how many property homes that is. So we'll, we'll see what he, what he actually does with this. Nothing. I know. Aik went home with Fridgir from the field of combat. So to Fridgir's home, to be clear. He stayed there but a short time before going south. And Aik and Fridgir parted with much affection. 
and Eik charged him with the securing of those lands that had belonged to Gjot. Eik went on his way and came to the Fierce, whence he went into Sogan to seek Thord in Outland. Now remember, this is the guy that he asked Hakon to send a token to. Thord received him well and declared his errand and the message of King Hakon. These words of Eik were taken well by Thord, who promised him his help in the matter. Eik remained there far into the spring. So there we go. So we covered quite a bit. Yeah. And let's see, that got us to chapter 68, and we started at 61. That was only seven chapters. I kind of assumed it was more. Yeah. So shall we jump into our segments? Yeah. What say you? I feel like there is some discussion to be had around the idea that it's the men who are being very flowery with their poetry, and it's Gunhild who is saying, like, no, can we just kill this already? Which is very different than the tropes that we see nowadays. And so I think that's very, very interesting that it kind of comes to the men. Because, I mean, even nowadays, men speak more than women do in Mm -hmm. discussions. And so seeing that even, like, back in the day in this saga is very, very interesting. Because Gunhild wants the practical approach. She's like, no, I want to finish this. My husband has lost a ton of stuff here. Can we just end it? And instead, this guy is swayed by a flowery, ego-lifting poem of how good of a warrior he is. I feel like we do still see that kind of trope in the modern age. Not in the same way, but like in the sense that masculinity is very ritualistic Mm -hmm. and that men have to interact with each other in certain ways with like complex dominance rituals yeah and like you do see both in stories and i think in reality like that kind of back and forth going on and Mm -hmm. like the women just going this is dumb this is really dumb like can we just deal with this and get on with it i'm reminded especially of beowulf and the moment where the king essentially because of this sort of hierarchy, whatever, he has to establish Beowulf as his foster son, which takes Mm -hmm. his wife and his son, his own son, out of the running for being king. And she is realizing my entire life is falling apart here. And but she still has to play her part in this role. And so that's very interesting to kind of dig into these sort of ritualized Potentially masculine and feminine, but for the sake of of this instance, very masculine role that we see. Yeah, and like in Beowulf, Wealthyow does like correctly and successfully go like, no, that's dumb. We're not doing it. We're not doing this. Yeah, And they don't do that. Right, right. And she's the only one who can break that ritual and snap these guys out of what is basically toxic masculinity. Yeah. In one sense or another. So that's very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's not the same as we mean today when we say toxic masculinity, but it's definitely like a... It's an institutionalized Yeah, an system. institutionalized masculinity. Mm-hmm. That is very damaging in that sense. Yes. So, interesting Yeah, because, note. like, that would have been a tremendously bad decision. Mm-hmm. Because as, as we saw earlier, Beowulf is not an effective king. Hrothgar is praised for being a king. Beowulf is not praised for being a king and eventually dies without heirs, dooming his people. Exactly. Exactly. So I think things would have gone way worse if he'd also been Hrothgar's heir. Yep. Yeah. He would have doomed two kingdoms. Yeah. All right. What else have we got? Grant me the gold. 
what of this can we use in a D&D game? I feel like there's a lot there. First mm-hmm. off, and sort of most fresh in my mind, is this entire ritualistic field of battle. Yes, that's very good. Mm-hmm. I think you can just pick that up and use that almost entirely wholesale. Yeah, because it, it already fits with like the whole concept of any, any kind of TTRPG that uses a battle map. Mm-hmm. This fits in perfectly. Like It's basically just a real world equivalent of the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And you can still use the stepping outside of bounds. You can use the timeouts if you want. I think that's very clever because in a lot of D&D combat, you don't get a moment as either the player or the character to say like, timeout, timeout. Like I want to figure out a different strategy. What if there's something that I'm missing? So that could be I really mean, in fun. my experience, players do that all the time anyway, but. <laughs> true, true. If you want to avoid metagaming to a greater yeah. degree you know if if one person's like oh i have a rod of you know lightning and i want to pass it off to this other player that's hard to say if the other character doesn't know that that's available yeah i also sort of like the idea of this like claim and price as a result like it doesn't have to end in a death it can also end in like okay cool give give me a thing mm-hmm. and i think this you can tilt this into whatever way you want to do it. If you want to do it as like a I rescue the maiden thing, that can be one way to do it. I I would say be careful with that. But also if you wanted to do it in a variety of other ways, I think you could also you could also do it that way, you know. I think it would be interesting to do the rescue a maiden thing, but like in the same kind of sense it is in this text where the person who wins the duel, they've they've they're married. They're married. Yeah. They don't want a maiden. Yeah, they don't need a maiden. They're fine. They're like, uh, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> like, oh, good. great. Do, do we have to? Like, can do we not? To... I don't know, man. Like, See, I know that, like, by the rules, but, like. Uh, yeah, that could be, that really, could be really fun. That could be really, really fun in terms of, like, cool. Okay, now they just owe you a favor or whatever. I think there's a lot of ways you can you can play that off. And that's a lot it feels to me better or more fresh than like a big tournament, so to speak. Like I love the tournament idea, like Tournament of Tottenham, great low level idea for a campaign. But also if you want something that's maybe a little bit higher level, higher stakes, but you want it to be a one-on-one mm-hmm. or like just for your party that doesn't feel like an, a natural encounter, make it like this. Like this is a really good way to, to fix that, especially if it's on an island. Yeah, that's very cool. What a setting, you know? So I like that. You can follow that up with additional complications. Like, I mean, going back to the maiden thing, what if the law is very strict? And mm. she's like, well, like, okay, we don't have to, you know, but um, we gotta get married. I guess I'm joining the party now. Yeah, yeah. She's part of the party now. Or I do have to go with you. Yeah. Wins the rules. Yeah. Kind of a, what's that episode of Firefly where Mal thinks he's accidentally oh gotten gosh. married? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah, like that. You could even make her a con woman. Like, the law doesn't actually say that. She's just going to steal your stuff. (laughs) Or she just wants out of a bad home situation. And so she's like, hey, I I need you to to claim me in battle and, you know, defeat my, you know, my dad so that I can leave. I think that could be really interesting. But who knows? There you go. Also, the whole, like, inheriting property thing. Liot apparently has properties, like, just kind of scattered around. Yeah. Those are your responsibility now. (laughs) 
More management. <laughs> you have to figure out where they are and put people in charge of them. Not everybody likes a resource management game, Mac. I know, but I, I, I like doing it. Oh, that is good. That is good. What else? I like the idea of the country swap. That mm-hmm. adds a lot of reactivity, I think, because in a lot of D&D games, especially higher level D&D games, where you start jumping between planes or you start you you go off on long adventures somewhere else and then you come back to a place, it's always fun to have that reactivity and have things be different, have your actions matter and change. But what about something coming out of left field? And, you know, if it's something maybe that your players did where they upset a king in a different kingdom or something, and the next thing they know, they go back home and it's like, oh, oh, he's here now. Oh, wait, the entire landscape has changed. This is totally different. And then they have to deal with that as a consequence of of their actions or not, because not everything has to revolve around the players. But you do want to have some kind of reactivity, and that can also keep it fresh. So whether or not it's something where your players come back and all of a sudden the king in this other kingdom is now king of their kingdom, like, that, you don't have to do that. That's massive. But it would it is fun to consider different ways you can play with narrative and player reactivity outside of maybe the player's purview or world or, you know, ideas, reference, what they're thinking of. I can see doing the, like, surprise, King Bob is king here, and your players just go, like, did you just name all your kings Bob? Yeah. Like, nope. you just didn't want to come up with a yeah. new kid, did you? <laughs> I also like the idea of Crumb's Bog and Buried Treasure. Excuse me, it was Crumb's Bog Hole. That's true. You can't forget the hole. His Bog Hole. I don't know. There's not enough buried treasure in in TTRPGs these days. I mean, I guess that's because, like, if you put buried treasure around, you basically have to do, like, the pirate thing and have a treasure map. Because it's not like they're going to find it. They can't roll for that. They don't have metal detectors. Yeah, but you can make it, like, a scavenger hunt. Yeah. You can you can post little rumors, like, oh, yeah, like, this guy's dad was so pissed about him not getting treasure that he decided he wasn't going to give it to his son, so he buried it out here. Boom. There you go. Yeah. You'd have to... Figure out a way to make it more complex, though, because as it stands, so. it's like, it's in this place and it's under a big rock. So they go like, okay, we go there and we lift up and the rock. And we lift up the rock, yeah. It does It does need something more. Okay, so let's just make it so that Scott Legrim is a ghost and he's back. How do you deal with yeah. the ghost? Do you take his stuff? Do you stick with the idea that, oh, he did this despite his son? Am I upholding that? Is his son the one who sent you guys on this quest? What do you do with this? What if you just come upon him and it's like, oh, there's a ghost here now. He's not doing anything. He's just sitting. Ghost Scott Legrim is actually something I wrote down because I yes. think it would be great to have a ghost who is refusing to go into the light just because he's so stubborn and he doesn't want his asshole son to inherit anything. I love that. He will not move on. His, his only unfinished business is like, no. Ale is not getting my stuff. Yep. I'm staying right here. Right here. here. He sits on that rock and he will not let anybody touch it. Yeah. I like that as a it's quest. It's especially fun if, and this is something that I'm going to say fantasy settings should probably have some kind of legal framework for. How does inheritance work if the guy who died came back, Good either question. like through resurrection or as a ghost, and is still like 
clearly sapient and capable yeah. of talking and yeah. running his property as much. What do like, you There do are probably with that? legal precedents for that that you've got to you've got to design. Corporality and the law. Yeah. What rights do ghosts have? Because, like, I feel like it's easy to say, like, oh, well, they're dead, so it passes on. But, like, I feel like there would be issue if a fantasy kingdom had the rule that, like, okay, yes, this ghost is sitting here shrieking about how his son killed him for the inheritance. But <laughs> legally, we got we got to give him the inheritance. We got to like, give him right? the inheritance. He's dead. Yeah. Like, yeah. he's right there, and we can talk to him, but right. like, he is... He is dead. Dead. Right. Like, it's, it's, it comes to, like, feeling more like a legal fiction. Exactly. And then what happens if that ghost starts destroying what was previously his own property because of this decision? Yeah. You know, like, do you uphold that? How do you get rid of the ghost? Can you really just disinherit somebody just because they're dead? Right. Like, that doesn't mean the same thing anymore. Yeah. I feel like we now need to have, like, a, a D&D legal division. Like a, a group, a party that's, we've mm -hmm. got the court advocate for the animal trials. We've got the like corporality division who does spectral stuff. We got, there's gotta be some others. We need some more lawyers. <laughs> yeah. No, wait. <laughs> you know, I'm actually preparing an episode where that is highly relevant. Oh, good. I like it. Yeah, it's going to be our May Day episode. We're definitely <sighs> going to talk about lawyers. Oh, good. Very intriguing. I'm very excited for this. Yeah, I'm hoping someone is going to remember I said that when May Day comes around. We have smart listeners. I bet they'll, they'll remember. All right. What else? Anything else? I mean, other than like sucking up to the king through poetry, which I think is any bard's specialty already. Yeah. I do like the shape-shifting witch thing. It's very oh, fairy yeah. tale. Yeah. That one's really good. That one is trickier to use, I think, because polymorph is such a quote-unquote common ability i mean like it's 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 high level but it's very familiar to people right right but you don't expect the bird to be you know a tweeting bird to be a witch yeah but like that that as an obstacle is what i feel is very fairy tale it's like yes you have a witch trying to keep you from writing a poem and she's doing that by being a noisy bird in the tree I okay, but I do like the idea of running with that as maybe not like a BBEG, but at least an obstacle to the players or at least like someone's backstory where when they're trying to focus on their work, they're trying to get something done, there's always some like little mundane distraction that makes those roles harder. And it can slip by the player for a really long time. Like, oh, like there's a bird in the tree. I need you to roll a disadvantage. And they're like, what, what the hell? Like, okay, can I like, can I look at the, can I look for the bird? And they just, they start realizing that maybe this isn't just a bird. Maybe this isn't just, you know, oh, the window won't shut at night all the way. And so you're cold. So you don't get a long rest. Maybe this is something more. Maybe this is something supernatural. I think that could be really interesting. I think it would be a great way to have, again, not a main villain, but the villain the players hate more than the main villain. Yes. Is like some witch that they've f***ed off for whatever reason, who's Absolutely. just following them around, like shape changed or invisible or whatever, and sabotaging them in all these petty ways. Just really petty. Petty witch. <laughs> petty witch. I like that. I like her. I think that's all I've got. Yeah, me too. All right. 
What are we learning from this text? Sometimes, just leave. So, yeah, just, 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 just leave. leave. If it sucks, hit the bricks. Yeah. Come on, man. Make good choices. Also, I guess if a really big, tough, mean, evil guy is bullying you, sometimes the answer is to get another really big, tough, mean guy to bully him. Maybe. Yeah, you need an arms Maybe. race in your bullies. I don't like that. I don't like where that goes. No. But, hmm, all right. It worked here. It worked here. Did it? Did it? Really? Okay. What else? Just kill him. Just yeah, kill him. Just kill him, man. Like, this, the freaking monologuing. Just kill him. That was a classic, like, camp villain thing where he's like, Yes. Yes, I will let you plead for your life. Yes, yes. Uh, we, I will kill you in the morning. In the morning. Oh, no, you wrote a poem? Oh, tell me the poem. Like, this, oh, all this right. is exactly what villains are not supposed to do. Yeah, 100%. Just kill the guy. Just kill the guy. Just kill him. Gunhild was always right. Yeah. I feel like another one is maybe if you have a disagreement with someone, instead of killing them, just just have a fist fight about it. Like, set up the little stones, have a fight about it. Don't just start a freaking war. How about that? Because all of this could have been stopped if they just set up a little fight circle at the beginning. If the original Thorolf and Aeic had a little fight circle. Yeah, you know, now that we are... Now that we've seen, like, that this is a recognized method of dispute yeah. settlement, like, they probably should have been doing this, but why do we have feuds? Yeah, the whole time. What are these feuds about? Just Thunderdome it. Just Thunderdome it. Absolutely. 10 out of 10. All right. I mean, that's what, that's what I've learned from this. I feel like a, an alarmingly high proportion of those lessons are about killing people, but okay. I mean... That is the tenor of the saga. <laughs> yeah, that, that is kind of what this story is. That's the better, and these are the better options for this. Yeah. <laughs> so, eh. All right. Best moment. I would say, I don't know, I'm stuck between two. Okay. And they're both near the beginning. I think mine is gotta be when Gunhild literally just says, like, just kill him. That was one of my I don't. Yeah. I. She literally says, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. And then right after that, we have, if you talk to my son, like, don't, don't ever talk to my son or my son. Like, don't ever talk to me or my son ever again. Yeah. And those are like two in one. You get a two for one. Yeah. I'm going to agree that that is the best. The one that I'm going to put forward as honorable mention is Scott Legrim going and burying his stuff so Ao can't have it, then going home and dying, sitting upright sitting in the, upright. like, high seat. Oh, that one's so good. That one's so good. What a guy. Like, he yeah. really went out on his own terms. He did pretty much everything on his own terms. That's honestly. true. That's kind of his deal. That is his deal. All right. The court. You first. We have to figure out who we, who we already took. I don't know if there's any new Most characters here. Yeah. Most of the people here are either really, really minor or kind of suck. So I'm going to go with Hakon. Oh, I, damn, I was going to pick Hakon. He seems at least like reasonable. Okay, you actually have to help me on this one because I don't know who else there is. Well, when I, when I was looking through it, I'm like, okay, we have the people who were just introduced in this episode. Right. And we have Ale and Scott Legrim. I didn't take Scott Legrim. Do we still have Scott Legrim, actually? Yeah, no, we still have. I'll take him. I'll take right, him. There you go. I'll take the stubborn old man. 
He was my second choice. I was debating between him and Hakon. Final rating. Hmm. What did we give the last section? Because this one was this one was pretty good. I liked it. Last one was eight and seven point five. I think there's a lot of like dumb decisions, but all the dumb decisions <laughs> are in character. Yes, that's true. So that's not a, a like a problem with the writing. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. That's a bad thing to do, but like that's also exactly what that what character you would, would do. do. Right. So I'm going to give it a nine for being generally good and then give it an extra half point because Gunhild's really good in this. Ooh. All right. All right. Like, I don't think it's quite at like perfect 10 like we gave. I, th- I think the only one we've, I've given that is Sir Gowan and the Green Knight, mm-hmm. but I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I'll, I'll give this one a solid nine. It's a fun read. There's always something going on, and you're not... I love the political intrigue. I love how stupid these characters are. And I love how relatively easy to follow all of it is. Because some of this stuff, like, some of the stuff that we've read has been insanely hard to follow, and we have to, like, lay it all out for you. But this one's straightforward. This one's pretty easy. Admittedly, that's because a lot of it is built on, okay, you remember that complicated thing we explained last time? It's the same thing. But this one, like, it's a nice chunk. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Welcome to the Leech's Corner. So this is in Leech Book 3, Chapter 38. In case, mulieribus menstrua suppressa sunt. The suppression of the menstrual cycle? Yes. Yes! Do you know why it's in Latin? Because they didn't want to write it out because it's too lewd. Clarify that pronoun. Who's they? The monks. No. Oh. Oh, wait, Cocaine? Cocaine does not like talking about women's issues. Prudish. Every time it comes up, he slips into Latin. Oh my gosh. What a wuss. The original is, Sie forstanden hira monat gekund, which means her monthly nature is hindered. Gosh. All right. Which is still a little bit like talking around it, but like, it's they better. Didn't jump into another language. Yeah, it's better at least. But anyway, if your monthly nature is hindered, boil in ale, brook lime, and the two centauries. It's nothing to do with centaurs, it's a plant. Oh, okay. Give her this to drink and bathe the woman in a hot bath and let her drink the draft in the bath. Huh. It keeps going. I just want to want to stop there and go like what you've got there is have a nice bath and drink some hot beer with some herbs in it. I mean, stress can stop a woman's period, so some self-care is in due order. It's weird that the beer is hot, but other than that, like, I assume you let it cool after you boil the brook lime in it, actually, so maybe it Probably. doesn't have to still be hot. Right. But, like, it sounds kind of chill. Yeah. Uh, you know, relaxing. Not, yeah. You know what I mean. It's a hot bath. It's not literally chill. <laughs> Also, have ready prepared a poultice of beer dregs. So like like the bits that are left behind when you brew beer, right. I think. Or possibly the bits that are left behind in the in the mug if you haven't filtered it well. And of green mugwort and march and barley meal. Mix them all together, shake them up in a plan, apply to the natura, <laughs> as Cockaine says. Oh, I see. Hmm. The relevant bits, let's say. Right. On or in? Good question. Because the language might not provide. 
Future Mac here. The original text reads, On the Yakunda Lim. Zoe is correct in that Old English doesn't differentiate between on and in in quite the same way we do, so that doesn't help a whole lot. And Yakunda Lim is just an entirely non-specific term that means genitalia of any sort. So I'm just wasting your time by telling you what the original text is because it does not give us any additional information. Apply to the natura and to the netherward part of the vulva. I... that's... that's entrance territory. Okay. The vulva includes the clitoris and the mons pubis. So... Mm. I would say on and getting into, which you don't want to stick anything up there that's not supposed to be up there because you can get infections. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. So on could could probably be fine. In, not so much. Anyway, do that when she goeth off the bath, which is probably a good (laughs) idea because otherwise it'll just wash right back off. Right. And let her drink a cup full of the same drink, warm. Mm Mm-hmm. More beer. And wrap up the woman well. Okay. And leave her so poulticed for a long time of the day. So she gets a day off. Yeah, and a blanket. And a blanket, you know? And some beer. Like, the only downside of this is that you put some stuff in her crotch. Yeah. Huh. And I mean, mugwort has medicinal purposes. Do so twice or thrice, whichever thou must. So just keep doing it. Do it for a couple days. I like this. I like this. All right. Thou shalt always prepare a bath and give the potion to the woman at that ilk tide that same time. Okay, yeah. At which the catamenia were upon her. Catamenia is cocaine doing Latin again. The Old English is yucund, which just means nature. When she's due. Oh yeah, around the same time that she would normally have her period. Mm-hmm. Which is an odd phrasing, because if you're doing this, it means she's already late. So you can't possibly mean at the same time of the month. Do they, is there a specific, t- like, is it predictable as time of day? No. Because in context, no. it sounds like that's what they have to mean. No, I think, I think what's happening here is like, okay, she's, she's been late for a day or two. Let's try this. Next month, if she's still late or skips, we'll do it again. Okay. Because that, that it can happen. If you are malnourished, if you're overworking yourself, etc., etc., you can skip multiple periods. This can also happen if you have PCOS, if you have like whatever else. So it can occur. I mean, it seems straightforward to me that this is something that you would do monthly as this happens and as this occurs. And then it's like, oh, it came back. Cool. No problem. Get back to work, essentially. But I feel like overwork and stress would be a natural trigger. And so if you had three days off to just sort of chill, you know. Take some hot baths. That's yeah. a luxury in this time. Yeah, period. exactly. You know, that I, that could actually help bring back a period. But anyway, at, at the, the time at which the catamenia were upon her, inquire of the woman about that. Yes, of course. <laughs> yes, you do want to ask. Yeah. That's the whole entry. Interesting. That's what you do. Huh. Again, it, it sounds nice. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if any of the ingredients are, like, menses-inducing. I don't know. Because topically, it really wouldn't make too much of a difference. I mean, if you did get an infection, things would start to flush out, so maybe that would kickstart it. I don't actually know. I am not a doctor. But 
aside from like the taking the time off, I don't know what else would like kickstart it to start again. Yeah, I have no idea whether Brookline or Centauri have like a hormonal effects. Yeah, interesting though. I like that this is this is pretty chill. Yeah, as yeah, far this as stuff remedies go, because. Since you mentioned this earlier, I wanted to clarify for the listeners, unlike a lot of medieval texts, this isn't written by monks. This was commissioned by a professional leech. Yeah. So, like, this is just someone collecting medical texts and, like, known remedies that are kind of around the oral tradition and putting them all in one place. So they're not going to be bashful about it because, like, they're doctors. That's really cool. There are multiple remedies for, like, that are specifically women's issues, and every time cocaine goes into Latin. Oh my gosh. What does it say about, like, men in that time period that they won't translate it, but these these doctors... Technically, he did translate it, just not to a language, uh, not to English. He switched it to Latin, which is worse. That's yeah. worse. My guy. I mean, it is the mid-19th century, but that's uh. still, like... Jesus, dude. Yeah, be a little mature about it, man. Like, like, do you have a wife? <laughs> and there's still such a stigma about that, too. Like, oh, men can't touch or see women's, you know, menstrual products. It's like, no, 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 no. Understand where your female friends are at, you know? Like, make sure you keep some pads and tampons in your in your guest bathroom. Presumably women are coming into your home. Please make them welcome. <laughs> yeah, I have tampons in my bathroom. Yeah. I mean, that's because my roommate's a woman. They're hers. But there they're, they're there. They're still there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I have several friends who are guys. They live alone. They either have or don't have female partners. And they still keep that stuff in their house because they want to provide that kind of environment. So, I don't know. It's something that I like to see. We are making little bits of progress, but cocaine is pushing it all backwards. <laughs> this sad, sad man. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> anyway. He can't read a medical textbook. What a, what a guy. Well, you don't want just anyone hearing about that kind of oh. thing. You have to you have to write it in Latin in so Latin. only the educated it's can secret. read. It's secret. It's women's <laughs> secrets. These are the great mysteries. Oh yes, always. Oh my gosh. We still have to go back and read that book. Yes, we do. The secrets of women. The secrets of women. We've got to put that in the leech book rotation. That's so good. All and right. Leech book, leech oh corner. man. And with that listeners, we will we will leave you with these words of wisdom from our leech friends. Mm-hmm. Have a wonderful day, evening, morning, whatever it is for you. And we'll see you next time. Yep. Have a hot bath and a beer. There you go. Good advice always. Thank you for listening to the Mediculum Podcast. Please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes to help support us. If you're interested in exclusive merch and continuous exclusive content, consider becoming a patron on Patreon. To see our sources and our notes, check out our blog on themaniculumpodcast.com. And hey, come get involved in our community. We have a Discord group that you can join, and you can find links to our server on our Facebook group, The Maniculum Podcast, our Twitter, at Maniculum, and our Instagram, at Podcast. Original music by Walker. Check out their project, Sugar Glass, on Spotify. There was a man named, I don't like this name either, L-J-O-T. Liot. Liot. Liot the Pale. Liot. Liot. That's hard. That one's hard for me. I like it, but it's hard. Anyway.